0: Friendliness. You could be turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, as you know, we started a few weeks ago, the uh, two weeks ago now, the uh, uh, series: sit, walk, stand. And the first three chapters of Ephesians is really about us seated with Christ. Specifically today, you'll see the verse related to that. Then we'll get into the walking, starting in chapter 4. And chapter 6, we'll get into the standing. And uh, as I was preparing this message, we're going to cover the first 10 verses of chapter 2. It kind of reminded me a lot of times what you see on ads You ever see the ads like uh, maybe it's a weight loss maybe it's a hair or skin product where they do a a before and after right you know it's like you you guys all real big and so forth and then he's been taking some miracle product and now he's all you know trim and so forth or it could be the, the skin's all cleared up from something or hair regrowth or something there's always a before and after my wife and I love watching the uh HGTV, or the home shows and so forth, where they're remodeling. And, and whenever they show a, uh, uh, before they do the reveal of all the work, they always do the before picture. You see this outdated, nasty-looking place, and then all of a sudden, boom, then you see the finished product, and it's, like, beautiful. Well, that's what we're going to see in Scripture today, the before and the after. But we're looking at it from a spiritual standpoint. Where, where were we? Who were we before we came to Christ, and what do we look like once we come to Christ? So that sets the stage of where we're at in Ephesians 2. And I'll just have to say this too. This is one of those passages that's one of the clearest passages on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to deliver it because in each service we've had multiple people give their life to Christ as a result of the teaching of this passage because it's it's like coming to life. What it means, the gospel. And so, starting in verse 1, Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, some of your translations say trespasses, and sins. So that's what we were, we were dead. Now we know we weren't physically dead, but we were spiritually dead, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a moment. So we were dead in our sins, trespasses, in which we used to live. That word in the original language, live, means that we meandered in life. We, we wandered around without any purpose, any direction. That's how we were before we came to Christ. When we were spiritually dead, we just kind of wandered around, so to speak, spiritually. In which you followed the ways of this world. So we were, we were led, but it was by the culture. The culture dictated who we were, what we thought like. And it says not only the culture, the ways of the world, and of the ruler... Of the kingdom of the air. Who's that talking about? I'm talking about Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So that's the, that's the ugly part. Who we were before Christ. And if, and if you're spiritually dead yet today, at the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity where you can come alive spiritually. But we were dead So here's the first point, is that the gospel, the good news, starts with knowing our spiritual death and its consequences. Actually, the next verse that we're going to read is going to talk about the consequences. That's where the gospel starts, knowing our spiritual death and its consequences. Look at Romans 5, verse 12 on the screen. It says it so clearly, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man... We can all say, thank you, Adam. And death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You see a very strong correlation between sin and death. God told Adam, the day you eat of this fruit, you can eat all the fruit in the garden, but the day you eat of this fruit, the tree that's in the middle, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That was God's word, and he was talking about a spiritual death. Death is a result of sin, and it came to all people, and it's been passed down through Adam. Now, in the scripture, there's talks about three deaths. Let me just highlight them for you. The one we're going to be talking about today is spiritual death. The next one it talks about is physical death. None of you have experienced that, have you? I don't think so, because you're all sitting up, if you were slouched down. If your eyes are closed, we might wonder, so keep your eyes open. But physical death, and then the last one, if you were here a few weeks ago when I taught on hell, that is the eternal death. So we have spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. So today we're only really talking about the the uh, spiritual one, but although actually the next verse will touch on the eternal death. So that's the situation. Now, we have three enemies that come against us. We just read about two of them there in verse two, when it talks about the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In a moment, we'll get to the third one, but you can see them here highlighted for you on the screen. Our three spiritual enemies, not physical enemies, spiritual, the world culture. The world culture is that system that's around us, the, the ways of the world that are going contrary to God. This is like, I'm sure you deal with this. In many places, the message that I would give, would people would say, well, that's hate speech. People will say, if you disagree with my unbiblical lifestyle, then you're a hater. You ever get that from people? Just uh, Next time that happens, somebody says, well, you, you're spewing hate because you don't agree with my lifestyle. Just turn it around and say, do you agree with what I believe? And when they say no, then say, well, you're doing the exact same thing. Does that make you a hater? Just reverse the logic. We're not haters. We're lovers. But you know what? The enemy wants to somehow try to push us down, wants to silence us. And again, we can be very vocal, but we have to do it in a loving way, and we have to have a chapter and verse. We need to do it based on what's scriptural, not a public opinion, okay? Okay? So the world culture is against us. Also, we have Satan and the demonic influences. We just read that one. That's pretty obvious, the temptations that come from the demonic into our mind. And number three is our fleshly desires. That's our sin nature. We're going to read about that here in a second. So those are the three enemies we have. Now, let's look at where all this spiritual death began. Okay, We've been talking about spiritual death. And in order for the gospel to be uh, really good, good news, we have to know that we have, are spiritually dead. So in Genesis 3, we're going to look at the first five verses, it says this. Now the serpent, we know that's Satan there, was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, now, let's just stop there. When you see that, did God really say? You know what? The first thing that, God, that Satan is trying to do is attacks the Word of God. He wants all of us to doubt God's Word. When, when we talk about Satan and the demonic, how does he attack us? In our mind. And he attacks us with thoughts that cause us to doubt God's Word. So he's doing it here with, with Eve. Did God really say? And then he makes a really broad exaggeration here. That you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Well, we knew that wasn't true, right? There was only one tree that they were not allowed to eat. But he throws out this big exaggeration. Verse 2 then says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden. Next slide. Okay. But God did say, You're going to see that she got part of it right. She got some of it wrong. You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And then she added to God's word. And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, God never did say you couldn't touch it. Now, it's probably good wisdom that you don't touch it if you're not supposed to eat it. But God had said it. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Verse 4. Look what Satan said. You will not certainly die. Again, it's attack on the word of God. And that's what Satan does. That's what's going on in our culture around us. They want to silence the word of God. They want to silence our beliefs. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now, he's going to. Satan's going to do the other thing he does. And that's attack the character of God. So he attacks the word of God and he attacks the character of God. Look at the next part. For God knows that when you eat of from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, God's holding out on you. you eat it, you're eat; you going to be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. He's attacking the character of God. And if you look at what is happening in the world around us, this is what Satan does. Attacks the word of God, causes it to doubt it. He, he attacks the character of God. By the way, God did not want us to eat from the tree of uh, good and evil because you know what? He did not want us to know good and evil. He wanted us to know him. We were to know God, not knowing good and evil. And he, because of that choice, he gave us a choice whether we were going to obey out of love or not. So here you see on the screen the next thing that Satan does, his deceptions is trying to get us to doubt God's word and his character. This is why it's so important as a church, and hold us to this, that we teach God's Word in our Bible studies, our small groups, here from the pulpit, that we constantly are teaching God's Word. We want you to be the best fed sheep possible. We want you to know the Word of God. You know why that's so important? Is that when Satan comes around to deceive, you won't fall for it. You're going to say, I know the Word of God. That's contrary to the Word of God. That's contrary. And and you won't be deceived. People that don't know the Word of God, they can easily get deceived. Now, I want to take it one step further. We don't want you just to know the Word of God because we're here teaching it. We want you to be feeding yourself every day the Word of God. So as you're in the Bible every day, having your quiet time, you're learning. God's speaking to you. And it will be the best defense that you have from falling for these these enemies that we have. Amen? So, look at Satan's nature here. You'll see that he's a father of lies. He's a slanderer. He tempts us. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And really, I think God is not so much after you. It's not like you're some big prize to him. I think he's after God. And he knows a, a good way to hurt God is to hurt his kids. And you're probably no different than that. Somebody comes after you. one of your kids. you're some mama bears in here, I'm sure. You're going to rise up. But that's the thing. He's, he's always attacking, attacking, attacking. Look at 2 Second, Second, Second Corinthians 11, 14. It says, and no wonder. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You know how he does that? He takes his deceptions often and he wraps some type of truth around it. There's a lie and a truth mixed together. And if you don't really know the Word of God, you might fall for it. Again, this is the reason why we want to stay so strong in the Word of God. So this is our state. Let's continue to read verse 3. All of us... Also lived among them at one time. It's talking about the people who were spiritually dead, wandering around. All of us among them lived at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. There's our third enemy mentioned. So we see all three of them mentioned in verse 2 and 3. The cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Remember our first point is that we need to know we're spiritually dead. And there's consequences of that. What are the consequences of being spiritually dead? The wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God. And this is why we want to make sure that we don't stay at that stage of being spiritually dead, that we come alive. And you're going to see the good news coming here in a moment. Now, deserving of wrath. Some of your translations probably say children of wrath. I... I, Sometimes people will say this. You probably hear it. Maybe you even said it. Oh, we're all children of God. Doesn't it sound nice? Oh, we're all children of God. That's not true. There are children of wrath that are not children of God. And there's the children of God. If we have given our life to Christ, we've been born again, we are now a child of God. We've been adopted. Remember Pastor David's message two weeks ago about being adopted into the family? We are children of God at that point, but we're not before that time. We're children destined for wrath. That's a consequence. And so we got to establish this bad news before we can get to the good news. So we've already seen that we were spiritually dead. We have three enemies coming against us. We got the culture, the world around us. We got Satan, and we got our own fleshly desires. Not a real good Mother's Day start to this message, I'm <laughs> sure. Some of you are probably thinking, ah, I could have been better off at the restaurant earlier." So, but we're getting ready to go into the good news here. So, hang on. We'll get there in a moment. But I want you to think about this. What does it look like if you're spiritually dead? And the reason I want to highlight this is because some of you might be spiritually dead right now, and you might be saying, well, I believe in God. Yeah, that's that's nice. Satan and the demons believe in God, too. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? I'm going to give you some ways that you can identify if somebody's spiritually dead. And there are things that I had looked at in my own life before I gave my life to Christ and working with people for so many years. This is a pattern. First of all, you lack the fruit of the Spirit. Now, anybody can be nice, but I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those different fruit of the Spirit that comes as a result of the Holy Spirit living in us. We lack those. There's a a tremendous fear of death. And there's a fear of death because you don't know where you're going when you die. So that's another qual... Uh, aspect of it there's a lack of true identity purpose meaning of life like I, i don't even know why i'm here what who am i really and it's here's another one it's hard to understand the scriptures let me illustrate this a little bit further this bible i have up here with me today this is a bible that my parents gave me they they wrote in the front of it presented to david they're the only ones that call me david usually when I was in trouble, by mom and dad, and the date was December 25th, 1980. So they gave it to me on Christmas Day of 1980, four months before I became born again. So I took this Bible as a gift from my parents, and I took it off to college with me that year. I'd already been, I think at this time, a sophomore at Iowa State, and I God was already starting to work on me. People were witnessing to me, and I was trying, but I was getting this, I had a strong fear of death because I knew that I wasn't, I, I knew that hell was a strong possibility based on the way I was living and so forth. So I wanted to read the Bible. And as I was reading this Bible, I couldn't make sense of it. I didn't understand what this Bible was saying. I was like, why is it not making any sense? I now know because I didn't know the author. I didn't have the Holy Spirit living in me, helping me to understand the Scriptures. So while I could read it, because I could read English, it didn't make any sense to me. I was spiritually dead. Now I will say this. When I became born again, and I began to read the Bible, the pages were like, the, the words were like jumping off the page. I remember days where I'd spend two hours a day reading the Bible. I was like, I couldn't get enough of it. It was like all making so much sense. That's because I was now spiritually alive. I went from death to life. The Holy Spirit was now helping me understand. Now, I want to tell you this. We don't all fully know everything in the Scripture. And I've been studying the Bible for 42 years. I don't know and understand everything. But I, I know there was a dramatic change when I became spiritually alive compared to being spiritually dead. Part of that is understanding the Scriptures. And so that is another identifying thing. Also, we have a hard time praying and worshiping if we're spiritually dead. You know, we can say words, but it might just feel like we're hitting a glass ceiling somewhere. And we have no power to stop sinning. Now, when we become a born-again believer and the Holy Spirit comes in to live in us, He helps us to stop sinning. Now, it doesn't mean we're completely perfect or anything like that. We will still sin, but now we have a power to say no to sin. So that's all the, the condition of us being spiritually dead. The Bible has more to say. We could be looking at all kinds of other verses. And, and, and this is what the Bible says about if you're spiritually dead. It calls you blind, slave to sin, lover of darkness, sick, lost, a child of wrath. Now, isn't that such a nice, lesson? nice list? Aren't you glad that we're not ending this, the message there today? But now we get into verse 4. It gets exciting. Verse 4. So hang in there. This is the reward of you hanging in here with it. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. What are we saved from, by the way? We use that term all the time. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. What are you saved from? We are saved. If you see the the context of this passage, we're saved from the wrath. We're no longer destined for the wrath of God in hell. We are now saved from that. So that is the good news there in verse 4. And we're going to see three things that God does for us here in a moment. One of them is there in verse 5. It says, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He made us alive with Christ. That's the first thing. We're no longer spiritually dead. We're now alive with Christ. If you've become born again, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're now spiritually alive. That old bad stuff I was reading in the first three verses doesn't apply to you. That's the before picture. That's before the demo crew came in and started tearing things up, Jesus with sledgehammers and so forth, okay? But now we are totally new and different. We become, that's why it says born again. So that's the thing. Now, oftentimes people will say, well, they, they feel like they've got to clean their life up first, and then they'll come to God. I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I struggle with this, I struggle with that. And, you know, once I get some victories over some of that stuff, then, then, I give my, then I'll start following God. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. When we come to God, then we have a power to be able to change our lives. I didn't change a lot of the, the, the addictions that I had. I needed the power of God in my life to get over the addictions that were in my life. And if you're waiting to like, oh, you know, once I give up drugs, then I will come to Christ. No, you come to Christ and he'll give you the power to give up those drugs or whatever you might be dealing with. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. And look what it says. It's so clear. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it says by grace we are saved. So here's the next point. We are not worthy of God's love, but the gospel reveals his nature. And we see that there in verse 5. It was his great love for us, And he was rich in mercy. His nature for us. It's not that we were some great catch. It's not like, oh boy, if I could only get them. We will never be worthy of it. That's why it's grace. Unmerited favor of God. But he's love for us. And you know, the thing about God is, not only does God love us, but God's nature is love. 1 John 4 says, God is love love he doesn't just love he is love and he's so rich in us in it that that's what he's used to to call us unto himself and to help us to be saved verse six now we're going to see the other two things i mentioned that he does for us verse six is and god raised us up with christ so he made us alive now he raised us up with christ and the next one is he seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, he's raised us up and He seated us with him in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 just says, man, heaven's going to be quite the scene. We are going to get to see him pull back the curtain and he's going to reveal over and over his incomparable riches of his kindness towards us as we get to see more of the picture of His grace. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, says this. Since then you've been raised with Christ. We just read that in the the passage. Since we've been raised with Christ, what are we supposed to do now? Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds. So we see set in our heart, set in our minds, on things above not on early, earthly things. So that old saying that people say, well, you know, they're just so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's not true according to that passage, is it? Since we've been raised with Christ, we are to be putting our focus on God first, our minds about the things of God in heaven. Once we do that, we are actually, you can, once you're heavenly minded, you're going to be earthly good. You're going to have a better marriage. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better employee or employer. You're going to be a better servant to to helping love others. As we prioritize God first, everything else is going to flow out of that. Now, it says we are also seated with him. Look at Philippians 3.20. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was thinking about this whole citizenship. We, uh, in our society, we use these things, right? Passport. This happens to be one of my old passports. And uh, we can travel all over the world with our passport. We show our passport, and they scan it and stamp it and so forth. So I'm going to use the analogy because uh, right now I'm, uh, I'm going to be leading a mission team, a medical mission team to Guatemala in November. Just about got the team full. Here's a little shameless plug. I need about four nurses and one doctor, and we'll be uh, done. But we're taking 34 people to Guatemala. While I'm in Guatemala, obviously, I'm going to have my passport. This passport says I'm a citizen of where? United States. But it doesn't matter what country I'm in, does it? I'm still a citizen. I'm not a citizen in Guatemala while I'm in Guatemala. I'm a citizen of the United States. Now, I want you to think about that with you. You're here on earth. But your citizenship is in heaven. Once you become spiritually alive, you're not of this earth anymore. It's like you're in a foreign country. The Bible actually says you're an alien. Some of you are a little more alien than others, I think. (laughs) You're an alien. You're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim just passing through. So while we're here, we are a, a representative of where we're from. That's what we are. We're a citizen of heaven here on this earth. And our passport is stamped heaven. Now, the scripture has more to say about that because it also calls us not just a citizen of heaven, it says we're his ambassador. Look at this passage from 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. See, he's not using the angels, he's going directly to others through us. We're his ambassador. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what is our role as an ambassador? To help bring people to God. They're they're not reconciled right now. They're against God. We just read about spiritually dead. So now, our role as an ambassador. So let's say, um, for this analogy, I'm in Guatemala, and let's say I'm a United States ambassador to Guatemala. Well, that means I represent the United States while I'm there in Guatemala, taking care of the affairs and so forth. See, we are an ambassador. In, in fact, uh, you want to have a little fun with this. Next time you're flying on a plane or somewhere, you're meet, meeting someone, you know that old thing they do, you know, you sit there and you say, oh, what do you do for a living? Yeah, I'll do this, this, and this. They ask you, what do you do? I'm an ambassador. Oh. Ambassador? Where are you ambassador from? Heaven. Well, you'll either have a great discussion or they're going to quickly change the subject to something else. Uh, can I get a new seat? But think about that for a moment. We are an ambassador. We represent heaven. We represent Christ here on this earth, not our home. And what is our role as an ambassador? To help reconcile dead spiritually dead people to God. See, most people think God's mad at them. Oh, because of my lifestyle, be my sin. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. No, God wants us to be reconciled. He goes on, pretty strong message. I implore you, be reconciled with God. Really strong words. That's what he wants us to do. So in all of this, with what we've just been reading, what is our identity? It says we're seated with Christ. That's what I titled this message, seated with Christ, Our identity is this. First of all, we're spiritually alive with Christ. Remember, we were dead. Now we're alive with Christ. We're adopted into his family. He raised us up and put us into his family. We're a citizen of heaven. We're seated there in heaven with him. And we have a role. We're ambassador of Jesus. Any of you are struggling with your identity, I don't care who you are, what age you are, this is not just for pastors. This is for everyone who has invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. This is our identity. Alive with Christ, adopted into his family, a citizen of heaven, and his representative, and his ambassador. Pretty nice list, isn't it? But it doesn't stop there. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8 and 9, is a couple of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I love to use these. For it is by grace that you have been saved... Through faith. This not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. So how are we saved? How are we saved from the wrath of God? By grace. It's a gift. We don't deserve it. What do we do? We put our faith in it. It's through faith. The faith doesn't save us. It's what Jesus Christ did that does it. But our faith accepts that, believes that, trusts that. And then it says... It's not from you. It's a gift of God. Now, some people have wrongly misinterpreted that, thinking the faith to get saved is the gift of God. No, the gift of God is our salvation. That's really, in the original language, tied back to we are saved, and that's a gift from God. We do not deserve it. And then it says, not by works, so one can boast. So let me just expound on this in just a moment. When you're talking to people and you ask them about heaven, most people believe they're going to heaven. And if you ask them, why are you going to heaven? What are they going to say? Because I'm a good person, right? Maybe some of you are believing that today. Maybe some of you watching online are believing that right now, that I'm getting to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, let me tell you some problems with that. And you're going to have a hard time arguing with these. Number one, how good is good enough? Let's say you're thinking, well, just a little bit more good than bad, like it's on a scale. As long as I'm 51% good versus 49% bad, then that's good enough. And let's say you were thinking that, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's actually 80%. I missed it. Nobody ever told me. Or you were thinking 80%, and you get, oh, nope, sorry, it's 90%. Oh, there's nowhere recorded how good is good enough. So that's the first problem. You don't know how good is good enough. And you know what people usually do is they compare themselves with people worse than themselves. (laughs) Second problem, what makes something good versus bad? We could have big disagreements in here whether something's good or bad. Even in Jesus' day, the religious people, they were like all so proud of keeping all these rules. And Jesus said, yeah, you might not commit adultery physically, but if you're lusting after a woman in your heart, you're committing adultery. So Jesus took it beyond the physical to the actual mental thoughts that related to it. So what makes something good versus bad? That's the second problem. If you're, if you're based in your eternal state based on being a good person, you better have those two figured out very, very clear. Here's the third problem. Then why did Jesus Christ need to come and die on the cross? Was that a plan that went bad? No. He came because he knew we could never be good enough. He died as our sacrifice for our sins. He paid the penalty because God knew we could never be good enough. And actually, the standard for salvation, if you really wanted to be technical, you could say there's two ways to get to heaven. One way is through Jesus Christ. The other way is being absolutely perfect, never sinning. And we've all seen, we just read that we've all sinned, all came in. So we cannot be, so no one's perfect. No one's going to get there through their perfection. And it has to be through Jesus and the fourth problem with that argument is actually it's unbiblical to think that you're going to be a good person. Even a lot of the people who claim to know the Bible and claim to believe the Bible, who, who say I'm going to be a good person, it actually is contrary to this verse 9, what we just read. It says not by works, otherwise we could boast about it. We could take credit. Oh, you get to heaven like, hmm. I got here because I serve in guest services at Calvary Chapel in Melbourne. Look at me. Oh, look at me. Oh, I donated money for that playground. Did you see that nice playground? I donated money for that. No. We're never. Those are all great things, but that's not what gets us to heaven. It's grace. It's salvation through receiving the gift that God has by Christ dying on the cross for us. Now, some people are thinking, oh, man. What about all those verses about good works? I think the Bible teaches us about good works, right? We'll get to that in a moment. But I want you to see this next thing is is that uh, our salvation is not faith or works, but faith or it's not faith and works. You'll see it on the screen here. But faith that works. I'm skipping a couple slides for the interest of time, if they can just help me get there. Yeah, our salvation is not faith or works, and it's not we're not adding works to our faith. It's not an and, but it's really faith that works. That's how we're saved, faith that works. And the reason we know that is because the very next verse we're going to read, verse 10, says this, for we are God's handiwork, let me just stop there. Verse 10, handiwork. Some of your versions say masterpiece. In the original language, that Greek word is uh Poiema Poema is where we get our English word poem. We are God's poem. You think about what a poem is, it is a, an expression from a creator. We are his expression, we are his poem, his handiwork. And why we to, to what are we to do with that as that? It says, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, we just read one verse prior, we're not saved by our good works, but we're created to do good works. In other words, the good works should flow out of our faith. We're not saved by them, but the, the good works flow out of our faith. And then it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are the expression, we're, his, we're expression of God. Remember, we are created in his image, and he has a purpose. Remember, we just read about us as an ambassador, his representative. So here's the next point, is our new identity in Christ is received, not achieved. Am I God's representative? See, this is what separates us out from all other religions. All other religions in the world, it's about you working hard enough to achieve something. We don't have to achieve it. We just receive it. We receive it by faith. And then we just, out of that, as, as, the, as we receive, God puts his Holy Spirit in us, and then he begins to do his good works through us. Now, don't ever get the good works ahead of our faith. Okay, They flow from our faith. We're not saved by our good works. But as we come to Christ, we begin to change. We don't stay the same state that we were at before. Things begin to change. We begin to start to show love. Uh, real quickly, uh, one of our pastors led a woman to Christ just this week. A family member had called and asked the pastor to go. She was ninety-one, and she received Christ. Ninety-one. And here's the neat, neat thing: after that, pastor left. She contacted the person who goes to the church here, and they could tell her whole demeanor had already changed. That quick. Things begin to change. We're his workmanship. And who knows at 91, what are the things she's going to be able to do before the Lord calls her home. But now she knows she has, she's not spiritually dead. She's spiritually alive. So as I get ready to close things up, I just want us to see this. Our new identity in Christ. is really kind of a, a summary of what we just went through tonight. Or excuse me, today. Is our new identity in Christ is we move from death to life. In other words, we're spiritually alive. We're raised up. We're adopted into God's family. We're seated with Christ. We're a citizen of heaven. And we're an ambassador. We're God's handiwork doing good works. That's your identity. That's who we are is seated with Christ, in those particular areas. Are you doing that? Is that describing your life? If not, make the changes necessary. Maybe you're still making everything way too much about yourself. We're an ambassador. We're representing God. Some of you, though, are still spiritually dead. And I don't know why. Maybe it's stubbornness. Maybe it's pride. I wouldn't want to take a chance with your eternal destiny? You know, the Bible says this, that uh, Satan also blinds the minds of the unbelievers. Maybe you're blinded right now, but I know this if you say, God, I want to come out of that, I want to receive Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to come spiritually and be spiritually alive. I want to know that my name is written in the book of life. He is right here to meet you right where you're at. He loves you. Remember, he says, in his great love for us and in his mercy, he saved us while we were still dead in our sins. And you might be saying, man, if you only knew the amount of sin that I have in my life. God knows. God knows. And he still wants to save you. So as we pray in a moment, I pray that many people are going to make a decision. We've had many people in the previous two services give their lives to Christ, and that can happen today in this service as well. But you've got to be willing to step beyond your stubbornness and pride and maybe even fears that are holding you back. Let's, pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for those that are online watching this message as well. I I thank you, Lord God, for your word teaching us who we are, seated in Christ, our new identity, that we are alive spiritually, that we've been raised up to be adopted into your family, that we are seated with you, we are a citizen of heaven, and that we are your ambassador, we're your handiwork. We're doing good works here on this earth. And I pray for all the believers right now that we would fulfill your purpose, your plan, the identity you have given to us. Help us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Show us tangible ways that we can fulfill your purpose, that our identity can truly be just received by you. We're not trying to work for anything. That so We're just going to let it be out of overflow. And I pray for any people right now. You could be online or here in person. Maybe you're out in the cafeteria. And you know you're spiritually dead. When I went through that list earlier, you were like, man, that's me. I I have some real concerns. You can get rid of those concerns today. And I'm just going to invite you, while heads are bowed, if that's you and you want to totally surrender your life over to Christ today, stop playing games with God. Maybe you're fooling people around you, but you're not fooling God. And He's calling you. He's allowed you to be here today for this purpose, to make a decision to follow Him. Would you just raise your hand up high? All over this room, raise your hand up high. You're making a decision to follow Christ. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. It's an act of faith by you raising your hand up right now. I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of you right now. Yes, see ya. Others, yep, yep. Others of you. I'm not gonna call you up to embarrass you, yep. It's a holy moment right now. Christians, be praying. People are making their decision. Up in the balcony. Okay. Others up, anybody else in the balcony? Anybody else that wants to make sure Okay, those of you that have your hands up, you can put them down. Let me lead you in this prayer, and it's not any type of magic words or anything. It's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're praying to God, and you're asking God for forgiveness of your sins and to come spiritually alive by your confession to Him. So let me lead you in this prayer. Just pray it under your breath to the Lord, Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been spiritually dead, but I know that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for my sins, that you love me, and you want to save me. So I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. I know you've you've been raised from the dead, and you're now seated in heaven. Please send your Holy Spirit to live in me. I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to become more like you. For I love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a hand to those that prayed that prayer? Awesome, 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 awesome. And if you prayed that prayer and you're online, there'll be a number there where you can either call or text in. We'd be glad to connect with you. I'm just going to ask that you would stand now as we uh, close our service in one more worship song. It's your name is the highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above. Just a few uh, closing words with you. Just remember, uh, we didn't have the baby bottles. We ran out of those. So pick up something and bring it on Father's Day weekend for the Essential Pregnancy Center. Uh, If you are new, we're just so thankful that you're here with us, worshiping the Lord, studying God's Word. We'd love to meet you at the end of the service. We have a volunteer and some pastors out in our commons out there in our center ring. You can just make your way out there. If, If you raised your hand to surrender to Christ today, I'm just going to ask that you would come at the end. There'll be other people coming for other prayer needs. We'll have people here to pray with you for various needs. But we want to just congratulate you on that decision, give you a Bible, and just uh, just love up on you. This is tremendous when people give their life to Jesus Christ, the most important decision you can ever make in your life. And uh, just also want to remind you, you're. Faithful giving is what allows us to be able to do ministry here, and so thank you so much for your giving. We have our offering boxes by the doors and the way out, or you can obviously give online. So thank you. And before I dismiss you, I do have some uh, wisdom for moms, but those of you with younger kids. You want to get a little rest? All you have to do is tell your kids, wake me up in about 30 minutes so we can clean the house. They'll be super quiet the whole time, right? Amen. God bless you.